Today's episode of the Spring Hills Podcast is a throwback episode. I'm going to throw it back to April to a one-on-one interview I did with Pastor Brett about his testimony, how he got into ministry, and basically just what led him to be where he is now. I want you to listen to this because it's a great way to get to know your pastor. Also, if you're new to the Spring Hills Podcast, maybe you haven't journeyed back that far in our feed. So it's great. We've got other interviews with the staff as well, so you can get to know them. One of the reasons that I wanted to show you this interview, though, is because we are doing a new podcast series for the next month. And I'm going to show you a trailer for that in just a minute. I don't want to spoil the surprise because I recorded a trailer for it, and I'm excited to show that to you. But also because we're going to expand the Spring Hills podcast. What I mean by that is we're going to start filming it, so it'll be on YouTube. We're also going to expand the topics. We're going to talk about marriage and parenting and finances and grief, a lot of cool things that should be really interesting to a lot of you. We're going to bring in a lot of Spring Hills team members and staff to talk about a variety of topics. It's really cool. We're going to expand, hopefully, to the point where we can get three or four episodes a week out to you. And before we get to the trailer for the upcoming series, I just want to say that we're praying for you. There is so much going on right now. It's it's kind of hard to fathom that this is happening again here with the glass fire. A lot of you are evacuated. Some of you, maybe you lost your homes. Maybe you lost your home in 2017 to the Tubbs fire. And now you're experiencing PTSD. I just want you to know that we're praying for you. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Let us know how we can specifically be praying for you. And also let us know if you need anything. We're stronger together as a church family. So please don't hesitate to let us know how we can help. All right, I want to get to this interview with Pastor Brett. But first, check out this trailer for an upcoming podcast series. What's up, everybody? I've got an announcement to make. But first, I got to ask you this question. Have you ever wondered about the history of Spring Hills Church? I mean, truly been curious about how it got started, when it got started, where, why, who started it? If you've ever been curious about those questions, I've got a surprise for you. Over the next month, we're going to be releasing four episodes here on the Spring Hills podcast about the near 30-year history of Spring Hills Church. Now, the church was started in 1992 here in Santa Rosa. So there's two of those questions out of the way, right? I'm off to a great start. Thanks, Garrett. Now, if you've ever been part of a church plant or been closely connected to one or known somebody that's planting a church, basically, if you've ever been near a church plant, you know that it comes with its own special set of challenges. While there's definitely some essential items on the things you need if you want to plant a church list, there's in fact only one reason that any church plant actually finds success. Now, obviously, having a team of leaders that have a solid foundation in their faith in Christ is essential. And you've got to surround those leaders with strong, godly people to support and pray for them. That's hugely important. However, the only reason that a church plant ever truly works is that God is the one guiding and leading every single step of the way. For a church plant to thrive, it will need God to perform a few miracles. Actually, it will need God to perform a lot of miracles along the way. Well, Spring Hills has definitely seen its fair share of miracles in its 28-year history. Yes, I did say 28 years. Now, that may have made you think, hold up, Garrett. There is no way that you know the story well enough to tell the whole 28-year story. Normally, I might be a little insulted by that or offended that you think I can't do something, but in this case, you are 100% correct. I've only been here for three and a half years, and even if I were here since the beginning, I'd have been four years old. I mean, I probably was still 6'3 or 6'4, but I was four years old nonetheless. But don't worry. I went on a little journey. I wanted to find the best possible guests that I could for this four-part series. And I am 
so stoked to announce that I found them. The perfect duo to share this story. Possibly the greatest duo of all time. Certainly in the conversation. So, to help me tell the Spring Hill story will be Brett and Eve Avlakiotis. Yes, applause. Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. I actually have a lot of questions for them because I'm curious about the history of Spring Hill. So, join us over the next month for the four-part series of the story of Spring Hills with Brett and Eve Avlakiotis. Can't wait. And now, let's check out this interview with Pastor Brett. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks, Garrett. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I wish we had a live phone-in kind of a thing, you know? And ask me anything. That's ask. one of the things I want to do next is is put like you and Garrett Ward, because Garrett Ward's pretty famous around here too, <laughs> and uh, and maybe maybe Kiki or something, and have them, um, you know, have people call in or Twitter or Facebook, yeah. something like that, put in some questions and ask me anything kind of kind of deal, which would be fun. But anyway, I hope I hope that uh, what we talk about today is encouraging and helpful for people to so for us to get to know each other. Yeah, 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 and and also just for uh, so so everybody knows we are right in the middle of Easter weekend here as we're recording this, um, and Easter weekend is going to be great to be part of this weekend. So we hope you enjoyed it. By the time you hear this, it will have concluded. I hope you were able to bring some family and friends on and uh, start your watch parties and get people to hear the good news of Christ and be encouraged. Um, but for now, let's go ahead and let's find out a little bit more about Brett. So Brett, let's start at the beginning. Uh, you are a California-raised kid, but where exactly were you growing up? Where did you grow up at? Well, I grew up in Redwood City, which is about 25 minutes, 20 minutes or so south of San Francisco, Bay Area. And uh, didn't realize what a nice place Redwood City is until I went to seminary in Dallas, Texas after graduating from college. Then I realized, boy, the weather in Redwood City is really nice. <laughs> I just assumed every place uh, in America was like Redwood City. So no, grew up in Redwood City, went to Woodside High, then on to San Jose State, and then after that off to Dallas to attend seminary. See, already something I didn't know. I didn't know you were a San Jose State guy. Yes, I'm um, a Spartan. I don't think I'd heard about that. Now, you ended up with uh, a degree from San Jose State in... Business. Business, business administration. Okay. Yeah, I was going to... Uh, you know, I became a Christian in high school, and I thought, boy, it'd be great to go to a Bible college and learn more about the Scripture. But I also knew at that time, really felt a call from God to go to seminary. So I thought better to go to college and major in something a little different just to broaden things out rather right, than, right, right. you know, Bible college and then seminary covers a lot of the, a lot of the same kinds of uh, subjects. So yeah, I was a business administration major at San Jose State. Yeah. A lot of people I know, um, just from my own experience growing up in ministry, don't exactly know what kind of education pastors have. It's, and everybody's got their own um, own stories. I know we've got some people on staff with a wide range of degrees and uh, bachelor's degrees and masters and all of that. Um, so it's interesting to know just what what got you start business. So did you have aspirations to be a business owner or something before you were in ministry? Well, you know, when I was in junior college, so I spent a couple of years in junior college, I was trying to figure out what to major in. And I took a couple of business classes 
uh, as electives, right, right, in junior college. And I went, well, I really like this. This is really interesting to me. So that's what led to me being a business major is that I really love the, the whole subject yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but never intended to be in business by that time. I was really looking to complete my bachelor's degree, which was a requirement for graduate degree in seminary. So I uh, had a had to get a degree in something, and I really enjoyed business. I still do. I still love the subject of it. Uh, so that's why I did it. Yeah. I actually started as a business major and then ended up moving over into communications because I wanted to uh, wanted to do more of the interaction stuff with people in classes, and Podcasts. that became a lot more fun. And hey, if this is if we, this is where we ended up, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> with it. You're a podcast guy now. This is fun, man. I've enjoyed this. Um, and microphones, it's, it is different to, to be speaking into a microphone rather than singing into one, which is a fun change. Um, cause normally if you let me talk too much on stage, I start to ramble a little bit and you're like, Hey, we're, uh, we're on a tight schedule here. So wrap it up there. Worship. Leader. I don't sing and you don't speak. That's our, that, that, that's our that's agreement. We should, yeah, we'll, we'll agree on that. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your family dynamic growing up, your parents, siblings, extended family. Um, what was that like just growing up in Redwood city? Yeah, I have, uh, I had a twin brother um, that he passed away last year, uh, which was really a tough thing. He had a battle with cancer. and um, But I grew up with a twin brother, my older brother, who's still um, still doing well. He's in uh, lives in Rincon Valley uh, right here in Sonoma County. And then uh, my older sister, who lives in Portland, and uh, she... Uh, she's married, uh, her husband, uh, but they don't have any children, but we have, so I grew up with, uh, my older sister, my twin, and then my older brother. And then my dad remarried when I was in high school and I, um, inherited a stepsister at that point who also has passed away. Um, so a good, a good family dynamic. I mean, growing up with an older brother and a twin brother, we were all into sports together. So you had ready-made you know, baseball games and, and kickball or football, whatever you're doing, you had, you had enough to get a right. game yeah, started, yeah. you know, with them. And or a all, band. A I've band, seen some yes. pictures of you guys with your band. Yes. Yeah, so we had a band. My uh, twin was the a Cobras? guitar player. The Cobras? Is that what it was? The Cobras. Yes. My uh, twin brother was a guitar player. And then my older brother, Scott, played some bass and tenor sax. And then I was a drummer. And my older sister played guitar. It was a short-lived gig, although my twin and I continued playing right into high school and right into college and just kept playing. But yeah. my other siblings, um, you know, after our short career, they dropped off. Now your brother, this is kind of cool because your brother's guitar is actually here at the church and we get to play it because Scott had brought it down and now we've uh, we've jammed on it a little bit. And one of the amps that we actually used for the Easter services was your brother's amp, which is ah, kind of cool. So he's there. That. He's there as well while Scott's uh, involved still mixing sound. Um, so what sports did you guys play? I, I know you're an athlete. I've watched you. Uh, I've watched you throw a ball and shoot a basket. And <laughs> um, so, what sports were you into? Well, my dad, uh, who also passed away a couple of years ago, but he was big time into baseball. That was okay. his thing. He he loved baseball. Big Boston Red Sox fan. He grew up in the in Boston in the Boston area. Oh wow! And uh, so uh, he he exposed us to baseball early on. He teaching. I still remember as a kindergartner five years old, uh, playing catch with my dad uh, up in the back of our house. And I still, I remember it uh, distinctly because uh, he threw me a pop-up and it hit me in the eye. (laughs) 
and I went to and I had ended up with a big shiner on my eye from it was like know, the sandlot. It was a hard ball. It wasn't like one of these soft things. It was a hard ball, and I took it right in the eye, and and. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Lining up in kindergarten and being teased, I still remember it because I had a black eye. But uh, those kind of things teach you. So I I played baseball, you know, Little League, gone into uh, uh, Babe Ruth, we called it, American Legion. I played all the way through high school baseball and then a couple of years in college. Uh, So I just kept right on going. Then I played played four years of football in high school. Uh, One year of basketball. Uh, I enjoyed basketball, but uh, didn't dedicate myself to it enough. But football... Well, a three-sporter, it sounds like. Yeah. So that's hard to, to be focused on one sport yeah, when you're so playing if, the other. If I could go back, I would I would want to dedicate more time to basketball and golf. Yes. Because now I love to play golf. I'm still not a golfer. You guys are going to have to figure out how to get me into it because yeah. I think... I think I'm to the point where uh, I'm ready to find some competitive things to do outside of basketball. Yes, you'll move into golf because you can really keep doing it, uh, you know, on. Maybe not with my back stuff, though. Maybe I'm not going to be a good golfer. So our family is very athletic. Uh, My brothers were into sports, too, and uh, my sister as well. So, uh, and I still love sports to this day. So not having a basketball season right now, you know, the NBA, not being able to watch Major League Baseball. You're kidding me. Uh, that is really that is that's really tough. But when we get back into it, we'll appreciate it all the more. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, we've had those lockout seasons with some of those sports, and we've always uh, had little glimpses of what it would be like not to have them. And now it's you know everything's. I, I remember there's like a some kind of time during the summer. I don't know if it's the baseball All Star break, sometime where there's no sports on, and it's like three days where everybody's just going crazy. And now there's here we golf. are on on week golf, golf is, is on. Always yeah. on. <laughs> Which yeah. to a lot of people is a non-sport. I right. understand uh, watching somebody putt on a green and he's going to putt now. And everybody's like, <laughs> you know, uh, I love Lines that. Up a shot. But yeah, I love that though. Actually, I probably couldn't do a, a golf announcer. I don't watch it enough. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you played, you played a lot of baseball. Um, that's cool. You played in college. I don't think I knew that either. Uh, what position were you? I was a shortstop. Uh, had a good arm, good range. Um, yeah, so... That was one of the things my dad, when we were really young, was teaching me how to how to pick up ground balls. He worked uh-huh. real hard on that, so I continued that right into uh, right into college. I was a shortstop. Cool. And what overall, what kind of kid would you describe yourself? Were you kind of a goofball? Were you um, were you outgoing? Were you an introvert? I don't think you're an introvert. You seem pretty outgoing. So uh, yeah, what kind of kid were you? I'm pretty outgoing. That's a really good question. But when I was younger, and I I guess I would just attribute this to some of the family dynamics, it was pretty rough. My dad's marriage to my mom uh, was rough. Uh, They ended up divorcing and it was kind of a difficult thing. And so I would describe my- How old were you when when that happened? Um, When I was in, I think, fifth grade, fourth grade, it was real bad. Uh, they finally divorced right in when I was in seventh grade. Uh, if I got the numbers correct, sometimes I go back in my mind and I can't put all the timing sure, together, yeah. but I was young. So I was, I think I was more introverted because of that family dynamic Interesting. and some of the, some of the intensity, you know, <clears throat> my mom struggled with alcoholism and she drank a lot. And, and I remember when, when I'd be, when I was really young, probably, first grade, second grade, somewhere in there. They would fight at night, and I would wake up for the night, hear them fighting, and it just sort of, you know, kind Weighs of on shuts you. you down emotionally, listening to all that stuff, and puts a lot of fear in you. 
And I became a Christian in high school. And then when I met my wife, Eve, uh, her acceptance of me, the relationship uh, we have, plus the Lord working in my life, I say the combination of the two things, uh, her acceptance and the Lord working in my life, it's like, wow, I really am more of an outgoing, extroverted type mm. personality. It likes to, I like to joke around with people. You know, I have fun with that. But I wouldn't describe myself that way uh, growing up and even into the early years of high school because mm. of some of the family dynamics. At least that's how I'd put, to, put it together at this point. Yeah, so you, you've told the story before about becoming a Christian in high school. There was a band on campus, and um, I kind of want to ask you a little bit about what that becoming a Christian— Well, you okay, let's go back to the band on campus. What was the timeline there from uh, how long until you started going to church, became a Christian— so, um, and um, got really serious about your faith. So I was a sophomore in high school at the time and, uh, you know, drinking with my friends. So I, here I am. I'm an athlete. I'm doing well in sports, all of that. But I'm also... Were you popular? I was popular from that standpoint. Sure. But again, my personality, you know, uh, not as outgoing as I wanted to be or hope to be, um, but popular from an athletic standpoint. Sure. And drinking with my friends. Um experimenting with some drugs, smoking some pot, doing things like that. Uh, but inside, I was like, I really want to, I want something different in my life. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I felt the, the, um, the lack of congruence between what I wanted to be as a person, as an athlete, if you will, in, in be a success. Mm -hmm. That's sort of in life. I, I saw the the uh, separation between that and what I was doing. And I was heading down a, you know, a, a path that was bad. Um, and so I was seeking, I guess I, I, you would say when I heard the band uh, come, when they first came, I was really beginning to seek. I wanted something different. So here this band comes and they play uh, on during lunch and a worship band. Yeah, it was a worship band, but they played all these, uh, played Chicago tunes. Oh, okay. So it was kind of like they were doing all these crossover tunes. Or, I don't know if crossover is the right term. Just, you know, Chicago and other songs. And uh, I remember being intrigued because they used to, the class before you went out for lunch, they would they would read what was happening at lunch. And uh, I still remember sitting in this class and, and them reading what was going to happen at lunch. Well, there's this former Hells Angel is going to share his story at lunch, and there's going to be a band. That's what I remember hearing. And I thought, well, I'm going to go check that out. So I'm having my lunch. The band gets up, does a bunch of Chicago tunes. They did them great. I'm like, wow, that's a good band. And then the former Hells Angel gets up and starts sharing his story. Well, he had become a Christian at a low point in his life as a Hells Angel. It turned his life around, and uh, he was sharing a story. Well, when I'm, I'm listening to this, I'm a seeker, right? I'm seeking, I want change. And God just, how, I don't know how else to describe, but God said, I'm who you're looking for, Brett. I, I can, I, I want to come into your life. I want to change your life. I want, uh, this is your moment. I mean, I just felt called by yeah. God. And then they passed out flyers about a, you know, a rally at the church. Uh, I think it was, going to be that's this probably on a monday and the rally at the church was tuesday night and so uh i wasn't driving at the time and my dad gave me a ride and i went to the event and it was like the first time in that church ever the only church background i had was going to the catholic church once in a while mm -hmm. <clears throat> because my aunt 
would uh, ask us to come, my brothers and I, and we, we'd show up once in a while. So I, I went down there to the rally, and it was like God was telling me, come, this is, this is I'm calling you. Yeah. And I heard the, the band played some more, which was cool. Then the guy gave a full-blown testimony, the Hell's Angel. And then at the end, if anybody's here and you want to accept Jesus Christ into your life, I'm going to invite you to come forward right now. I want to pray with you and accept Christ. And my heart was beating that night. I still remember it out of my chest. Uh, and I got out from my seat, and I went down to the front and um, then went into the back room, as they call it, afterwards, and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And then for about a month, I went home, and uh, and I didn't know you were supposed to go back to church. I mean, I literally didn't. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, it wasn't until after a month that somebody from the church followed up on me, as we call it, followed up and said, hey, do you want to come to church? And I went, sure. So he picked me up. I went to church. Uh, then he said, do you want to go to youth group on Tuesday night? And I went, sure. So I went to youth group. There was a bunch of kids in there. And um, I don't think I've missed church, but a half a dozen times since then. Except for now. Yeah, except for now. We're not really missing Shelter church, in but place. just not, yeah. not on campus. So now I do podcasts. Yeah, now we do podcasts. I was curious, you, when you talk about God calling you, saying, Brett, I'm what you're, you're searching for. Um, I've had this question before when I talk about being called into ministry. Was this an audible thing that you're hearing? Was it just something in your heart, a feeling that you're having? Um, someone that's never really heard the voice of, of God in their lives guiding them. Uh, they're curious as to what what does that feel like? What does it sound like? How is it? How do I know it's God and not just my own thoughts that's telling me that this is what I'm looking for? That, that's such a great great question to ask. And no, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe it as an audible voice from God. You know, I I've never had that where I would say, boy, God just said something out loud. Like Samuel. <laughs> like Samuel, yeah, Samuel, Samuel. Your listeners ought to check that out in First uh, Samuel chapter three when. Samuel, the prophet, is called by God audibly. But for me, it was what theologians call an effectual call. Mm -hmm. You know, like God, God is really calling the whole world to consider the gospel. You know, it's going out this weekend with Easter and all. The message is going out. A lot of people are hearing it. Right. Right. I mean, thousands and thousands of people in the millions, maybe, are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. So, but there, for some it's different. They hear their name. It's like, uh, it's an effectual call. Okay? Right. It's an effectual call, which means all of a sudden you, you lean in and you go, what did they say about Jesus Christ dying for me? And God loves me. And, and you hear God loves me and it's coming directly to you. And Jesus died for sinners and I can be forgiven. I, I can be forgiven. See, it's, I don't know how else to describe it except for the work of God, the effectual call of God, in which he calls your name, and uh, you you say yes to him. I mean, I don't know. People's story is a little different. Right. Each conversion, if you will, is different. But mine was definitely an effectual call. Yeah, for me, it was more of a um, you know. Once I started listening, that was kind of the the time when I started to feel God moving me in a direction when I was actually listening and willing to um, follow His path. A uh, question for you about your family dynamic after you became a Christian. You you had mentioned that you and your brothers, you'd go to uh, the Catholic Church every now and then. What did becoming a Christian do to your family dynamic? How did it change the dynamic you had, maybe the relationship with your parents, with your siblings? Um, another good question. I, I, went, I went home 
that night. Remember, my dad uh, picked me up from the meeting at the church where I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and he picked me up, and he said, uh, Brett, how, how did it go tonight? You know, we're in the car. And I said, well, Dad, tonight I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, that's nice. That's nice. So he obviously didn't get it, right? <clears throat> that's, that's sweet. That's nice. You know, it's like, that's good. Okay, so we go home, and I start going to church, and I start growing as a Christian. I started to read my Bible. I remember I went down, uh, I used to go down in the garage every morning and just open the Bible and read and pray. pray. And I started <clears throat> a good discipline of prayer and Bible reading to help me grow, and I started growing and um, my dad noticed the change in my life right away. And I still remember him saying, because we had chores to do and lawn work, and my attitude was just better. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I, I, um, the Lord had changed my life. The joy started coming into my life, too. And I think that's when my personality, I started feeling the freedom that Christ gives, you know, the forgiveness, new life. And my quality of chores was better. And my dad said to me one time, uh, he said, you know, I know you're a Christian because of the way you do the lawn. I was going to ask if the lawn, yeah. if that's where that comes from. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I always, I like lawn, good lawn work, but I was, <clears throat> I was anything but a good chore guy. Is that mm-hmm. a, a term, a noun, chore guy? And my dad said, I know you've become a Christian because of the way you do the, the lawn. Interesting. Thought, wow. And so my attitude was better. I, um. I responded to my dad well. I shared the Lord with my brothers. I tried to evangelize all of them. Uh, so God, were, God put you to work right away. Yeah, I started. I started trying to evangelize them, and and eventually, thank God, they they my both my brothers came around. That's awesome. But they didn't respond to my preaching uh, early on. And, and Scotty now runs the soundboard. Yeah, during he's the services. involved in the church now. Praise the Lord for that. So any sound complaints you can direct towards uh, uh, Scotty. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so we were talking about being, you being called and feeling God saying, Brett, I'm who you're seeking. What about your call to ministry? When did you know that God was calling you to ministry? Well, uh, when I um, started to grow as a Christian, I did different things in the church. I remember the first job I had was putting the pencils in the pews. You know, we had this uh, traditional pew church and they had pencils and envelopes for giving and that, that kind of thing. So Sunday morning I got there early and I replaced the envelopes and did the pencils. That was my first job. Nice. That's where you and, started serving. You, know, you felt like you're serving the Lord. You're on the team. It feels good. You're on the team. And I really, you know, I was really happy to do that. And then as I continued to grow as a Christian, I remember the first time uh, I was asked to lead a small group. It was a Sunday school class and lead a discussion, right? And I still remember, I think I talked for like 45 minutes. Right. I was supposed to lead, facilitate. And so uh, that didn't go overly well, but I was learning. I was learning. And then, you know, as the years go by, this is probably after I've been a Christian for two years, maybe three years. I was asked to teach a Bible study. And, you know, because of my own personal devotional time in the morning, I'd, I'd learned a lot. So I put together a talk, and I gave it. I gave I teaching, and I loved doing it. I loved the preparation of it. I loved giving the talk and all that. And uh, someone came up to me afterwards and said this. They said, when are you going to go to seminary? You know, it was like, and I totally know what they mean, meant, but it was like, when are you going to go get trained to be in the ministry? Right. You, you have gifts for ministry. 
And that just captivated me. And I, I really wanted uh, at that point to go into ministry. You know, I didn't even know what going into ministry looked like. I didn't know totally what all my spiritual gifts were. Putting pencils in the back of seats full time. Yeah, right. You can't. You can't just get go a around. Just go around the state. And just work in you know, all the churches. Yeah, yeah. All the states. So, uh, I ended up um, enjoying studying and teaching so much. And uh, as I began to investigate seminaries and what they taught and what it was about, that's when I, you know, made my plans to go to San Jose State, get the bachelor's degree, and then go off to Dallas Seminary. So the the call to ministry, I would say, was seeing God had given me spiritual gifts that I really loved doing and that I actually could do it full time because right. I could I could be a pastor. I could you know, you teach his word and all of that. So if anybody's wanting about a call to ministry, I would say identify your spiritual gifts, first of all. And uh, then if there is a profession out there that you can do your spiritual gifts full time, then consider it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a weird way to say it. In other words, like to your point, you can't, you can't be paid to put pencils and envelopes, you know, certain spiritual gifts, which are so important, the body of Christ, there's no profession for it. Right. right? So you, and then your, your spiritual gifts have to be of subject of a substance where somebody would be willing to hire you. Sure. How do I say that nicely? Some guys might have a gift, but, and they, there's a profession profession, but they're not going to get hired. So I'd say, don't go to seminary unless people have affirmed your gifts mm -hmm. And you, you really sense this is what you're to, you know, God wants you to do full time. Again, I understand that's a little subjective, but other people will help affirm you in right. that. And you shouldn't go train for the ministry until you've been affirmed a lot in your gifts. And God will use different people to sort of uh, prod you along. Right, right. Yeah. Did you ever feel any resistance towards going into ministry or was it? Once you felt called, you were just gung ho. I'm on my way. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was fortunate in that way. I remember my dad telling me um, when I he asked me what I wanted to do, and I told him I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to seminary. I wanted to be in ministry, and I wanted to be a pastor. And it, it even though he wasn't a Christian at the time, it, it really filled him with a sense of joy because he was like. Mm how amazing that I really had a clear picture of where I wanted to be and do and, and what I wanted to, uh, you know, accomplish, so to speak. And so to answer your question, I, I when I uh, realized I had teaching gifts and, and I realized I could go to seminary, no, I was on a track to go finish college, go to seminary, get a job. And there was never a time when I really doubted it. Now, once getting into the ministry, you know, you go through some hard times and you, you do doubt. What was your first job in ministry? First job in ministry was at the church I was attending in Dallas. I was the uh, assistant to the singles pastor. Okay. So, you know, I just helped him part-time. How old were you at this point? Job. Uh, so I started seminary after college at 23. So, okay. yeah, I was 23 years old. And this like is where that. you met Eve, right? No, I actually met Eve. So here's the story about Eve. I met Eve when I was still in high school before oh, okay. going to college. And then we were in a band together. Oh, that's right. I knew that. Yeah. <clears throat> so then uh, I left 
to go to Dallas and we had started dating and then dated on and off. And then eventually uh, we got married in 1986. So, but I, my first job was just an assistant. Right. And then I became actually when that pastor changed within the church to a different staff position, I became the singles pastor. Right. And would you say Eve equally had that call to ministry? Because Eve is on staff here too, and she does a great job with the kids and, and ministering to a lot of people here. So was she sharing that call? Yeah, Eve, I would say even more so. I mean, I don't know how to describe it because she grew up in such a different family mm-hmm. than mine. Uh, her family... They went to church. She okay. she sort of grew up in a Christian family, although she would probably describe it as a little more of a growing up in a church-going family, but <clears throat> and a little more of the conservative side of things. I, I don't know what to say, but she she definitely uh, had an experience where she came to know the Lord and was growing spiritually, and so. Her call to ministry was every bit as strong as mine, if not more. I mean, and and so to, you recruited her to your team. Yeah, if you're if top you're, draft. That's pick. the other thing, by the way. If anybody's listening to this and they're thinking about, I want to go into ministry. I'd say, and you're married, your wife needs to be on board. On board, and if she's not, then you got to take time to let her get on board or to reconsider because yeah. you can't you can't do ministry by yourself. So, what about the uh, the point where you just you felt like you were called to be a lead pastor because it's you know ministry. Obviously, there's so many different things we could be doing. Um, myself, I started as a youth pastor, and I eventually felt called to the music side of it. Um, I don't I don't think lead pastoring is something that's in my future. Um, so, I'm wondering what's the, what was the point where you felt that call to be? I want to be a lead pastor of a church, and yeah, I was a uh, so I became the singles pastor. And the staff in Dallas, it was a Fellowship Bible Church of Dallas. It was a church of about 2,000, and there was about 1,500, or 1,500, 15 of us on staff. Actually, it didn't 1500 start. 1,500 on staff. That would be yeah, quite yeah, the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be quite a staff. Uh, 15. It, it, was, it grew to 2,000, but it, was, it started out as a church plant, so it was small. But it, I watched the church grow while I was on staff as a singles pastor. And uh, watched the senior pastor, uh, appreciated him so much, great guy. I, I learned a lot just watching the the lead pastor, as we call him, right? Senior pastor, lead pastor, same idea. Uh, I watched Senior him. just kind of makes you sound old. Yeah, yeah, I, I like lead pastor. Lead pastor, uh, head so, pastor. <laughs> I watched him as an associate pastor. Now, being an associate pastor was a nice spot because you kind of learn from the senior pastor, but he takes all the all the heat. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so I just would watch him and pray for him and all that. And there came a time when, when, uh, Eve and I, we considered, do I, do I make a full time? Do I just be a singles pastor and do other things within that ministry or then so stay put doing that? Or do I go into being a lead pastor, right. senior pastor of a church? And I really felt like, um, I wanted to not stay in single adult ministry the rest of my life, but to move into that. And so it was sort of a process of thinking it all through. And I, and that's how God guides you, though. You, you're praying about something, and then as you see, you're thinking it through and you talk it through, he, he's guiding and directing right. and all that. Yeah. And you end up where he wants you to be if you're humble to respond and do what he wants you to do. You'll get there. Right. You'll get there. He uses the whole process. And one of the uh, significant things was uh, 
thinking through, do I want to go into an existing church? Or do we want to start a church from scratch? And um, Yeah, that was going to be my next question. What about church planting? What was that yeah, process so, like? And, you know, being called into being a lead pastor, whether you're taking over a, a spot where another pastor has either stepped down, retired, whatever it is, or starting from scratch. Yeah. And uh, especially moving, you know, a few thousand miles away from Dallas back to your home area. Yeah, that that was another one of those process questions. Mm-hmm. Um, do we, okay, so we want to, we don't want to be a singles, I don't want to be a singles pastor the rest of my life. I want to be a lead pastor. Do you want to go into an existing church? And so send out your resume to different churches and try to get hired. Or do you want to start a church from right. scratch? Now, the reason I had the idea of starting a church from scratch is because Fellowship Bible Church, where I was on staff, was started that way. Mm-hmm. And it was a very cre- uh, creative church. It was really one of the early churches to have a full band mm-hmm. and all that rather than just piano and organ, you know, the old traditional type uh, church. And so, and I watched it grow. I watched it grow from a church of 250 up to 2000. And so the idea of starting a church, particularly starting a church like this, or the one I was in, in Dallas, in the Bay Area where I grew up, started to become very intriguing because I knew in the Bay Area there, there weren't there weren't any churches like that. Um, the Bible Belt in Dallas, you know, the South, was way ahead of the churches in California, and so, so then it became, well, why don't why don't we start a church from scratch? Because then you can do a lot of things you want to do. Right. You don't have the tradition of an existing church. You can having just, to change something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it, is difficult in the church takes setting time. sometimes. Yeah, and then let's do it where we grew up because there's nothing there. So that, that was the, that was the whole process. And so we made a, a visit to the Bay area, you know, here and considered a lot of different spots in Sacramento, right? Sacramento. We considered a church, starting the church there and starting the church, uh, down, um, you know, in Dublin and down, um, Tracy area, kind of that. Oh area yeah. That's, you that's up. my yeah. neck of the woods. Yeah. yeah. Your neck. We looked there. Um, a lot it, of churches over there. Yeah, and ended up in um, in Santa Rosa. So um, starting a church from scratch with with a kind of the vision we picked up through being on staff uh, in Dallas. That that's another really. If if somebody wanted to start a church, I'd say, look, if you can get a vision from your participation in a growing church in a church that fits what you could see yourself doing you know, get the vision first. And then when you start it, you know where you're going. So what we're doing now, these 28 years later, is really what I envisioned early on. Right. Uh, the band, uh, the approach, the people coming, even the facility here, just a lot of this. We was, do have a very unique facility. Yeah, We get a lot of comments on that with people being in here, like it doesn't feel like a church, you know, <laughs> comments like that. And it is very, it's very unique. I remember walking here for the first time and thinking that like, oh, this is, different like it's really cool i like this it's wide open and wow the vineyards and yeah it's just really cool campus yeah so um you know the call to being a a lead pastor was you know and i really didn't know what i was getting into um but thankfully over the years you know we've had just such a great staff and uh and really the people that are that don't have a ton of a church background or expectations. When, when you start a church, you're reaching people that don't go to church. That's right. the whole idea. Right. So when they come in, they don't have all, they don't say, well, you're not doing it the way, you know, they don't have any of that. So 
uh, you're saved some of the um, uh, trying to please everybody in in that situation. And they they come because they like it. And and we've been really uh, blessed, I would say, over the years to be able to do the things at Spring Hills Church that I've always wanted to do, that Eve's always wanted to do. And it's thankfully it's it's reached some people for Christ. Yeah, and you know, like you said, we're uh, I think you said we're approaching twenty eight years. Is that right? Yeah. 90, 92, right? Yeah. So this um, weekend, this Easter weekend, will be this will be our twenty ninth Easter, the completion of our twenty eighth year. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, first time we've ever not been on campus for it, right? Yeah. Or met for it, which is is uh, I mean it's just, that's pretty historical. You said last week in your sermon that um, I forget the exact quote, but basically, could it be that more people are going to hear the gospel this weekend than ever before in history? And that puts a great perspective on what's going on right now because it was such a bummer when we found out we weren't going to be able to be on campus yes. for Easter because Easter yes. we don't you know we've got the extravaganza, we've got the whole weekend. It's this big event, and so many families get to come here. But man, that quote really put in perspective like. Yeah, watch Facebook today, and we've got the Good Friday service going. And oh my goodness, there's a lot of people watching this yeah, and I, hearing this gospel message. I shared about our, um, you know, Good Friday service. I shared it on my Facebook page, mm-hmm. and my my comment was to encourage because I have a lot of people from high school that knew me in high yeah. school on my you know f- friend list. And my comment was, uh, God has us uh, in shelter and place. Because he wants to speak to you. Yeah. He wants to talk to you. Yeah, he's taking away the, the yeah. sports and the yeah. idols yeah. and the, God's got all the different stuff. Everybody home. Life. Everybody's home. He wants to say something to you. So I just kind of left Yeah, it distractions there. <laughs> distractions are much more limited right now. And yeah. um, in some ways. Other ways, they're, they're heightened, you know, because we're on screens all the time. I was going to ask, though, um, with the church being now a full 28 years old, a lot of our staff were only a few years old, maybe not even huh. born yet. Um, so that's kind of cool just to look at. I mean, your daughter, um, being on staff and I think she was, she was two when she was two years old when you planted the church, right? And now she's, uh, um, I think executive producer is her title, I think. Um, but looking back, if you were to be able to sit here at this table with Brett from 1992, the, the Friday, the good Friday before you're launching on Easter, what advice, what would be the first thing of advice or the most uh, important thing of advice you'd give him? You know, I, and I heard this um, when I was starting the church. Okay, I heard this, and and but I didn't do it. Okay, um, I I would I would take this advice. I would say you need to start now to disciple. Have a group that you're going to disciple, and uh, have a group of you know Jesus had the twelve, and then he had Peter, James, and John that he really you know built into their lives even more. So. But Jesus took this group of 12 people and discipled them for three years and then sent them out right. in the power of the Holy Spirit to start churches and to teach. And we have all the letters of the, you know, the letters in the New Testament from these same disciples. And it's amazing uh, what Jesus taught them. Uh, and so they launched the whole church. I, I, I'm, I'm saying that to say that I'd probably say to a, whatever you do as a young pastor starting a church, whatever you do, Get your group now to start discipling and and do it. Have a disciple, whether it's a discipleship group every year right. or every two years, but see it, uh, see that. Start building your leadership right. up and um, disciple people, disciple people. Because that the reason I say I didn't listen to it is not because it's not important. It's it's crucial, but 
I wanted to go faster. I've always right, wanted yeah. to go faster. To me, quicker results. Yeah. To me, let's get the band good and draw in some people. So you God know. tested your patience a lot throughout the years with, I mean, this campus was a great example of that. Oh yeah. I mean, everything's taken longer. Um, but my personality is like, I want to see results now. So, yeah. uh, let's make it happen. You know, be an attractional church, um, which is important also, but you have to, you want to have substance and build into your leaders. And it's sort of like you start, you might feel like you're starting slow there, but the overall multiplier is incredible. And that's right. what Jesus knew and modeled. Right. Jesus modeled that. Um, so yeah, in my, uh, in my zeal to get things up and going and, you know, to have a church that was attractive, I just, that, that seemed way too slow. And I yeah. still battle with that now because I, I like results. I want right. to see things happen fast, but that's, that's not the way the Lord operates. And that's not the way he operates. His time, right? His time. Don't do, don't do what Abraham and Sarah did. Yes. Don't get ahead of <laughs> Don't get God. ahead of his plan. Right. Uh, so I want to ask you a few questions. We talked about the staff being uh, kind of young, and some of these staff are your family. So you've got um, Kiki being your, your daughter, and then Ashley being your niece, and uh, obviously Ashley being married. That's your niece's husband. Is and then you've my got niece-in-law? Who your, is that? Your uh, nephew-in-law, right? <laughs> nephew-in-law. Nephew-in-law. <laughs> Um, Second nephew that's the, in law. the warty boy. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Eve, your your wife on staff as well. Um, am I forgetting anybody from your family? On, uh, I think that's I mean, it. I'd forgotten about Ashley being my niece. Some, sometimes I forget about that. Uh, yeah. Well, and then a few of the other girls that are on staff, they really look at you and Eve as parental figures in your in their lives too. Yeah, um, we love that. We and love so that. you've basically created this family, um, even with some that aren't blood relatives. But what would you say the reason your family's been able to work together, um, not only work together, but also remain very close? You still have a good relationship with uh, with the family here. So what would you say is like the, uh, the maybe I don't want to say number one reason, but what would you, you say is a reason that you guys are able to work together and remain close? Yeah, well, there's a lot of, there's a variety of reasons. One is they're gifted mm -hmm. from God, which is cool. They're all called. They're very called and they're very gifted. They love ministry. Mm -hmm. If they weren't on staff, they'd be involved in a volunteer level. The reason they're on staff. And most is, of them were at first. Yeah, right? they were volunteered for years and years. Uh, they're on staff because they have gifts, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, yeah, pastors have to watch for that, I guess. You know, it's like you don't want nepotism, right? right? Where it's like they have a job because they're the pastor's kid. Well, uh, that's not. Um, who I am. I mean, I, I, you know, my wife has tremendous gifts and, and Kiki has gifts in what she's doing and it's, uh, they're pretty strong. So, uh, it was like, wow, if, you know, and it, the timing worked out for Kiki in particular to come on staff and she started in a different position than she's at now started with students and then moved into single adults and then moved into more of the production end. She was overseeing and she has children her, for a she while. She has her degree from Biola in... Yeah, um, she's a Christian uh, leadership uh, major from Biola University. Right, okay. Which set her up nicely. She was going to be a business major, business major and felt a real call from God to be in ministry. She wanted to apply at a large church down in the down in Southern California, and they were very interested in her and wanted her to apply. They liked her. And then uh, she came up to Sonoma County here to help us out, I think, with a student event. Mm -hmm. 
And the Lord spoke to her and it's like, why would she use her gifts in, you know, the LA area when this is where she grew up and she felt like she could really reach students in Sonoma County. So it was an interesting thing. Her roots are here. So she was part-time and then she, you know, uh, sort of moved up. But to answer your question, they're on staff because of their gifting and uh, they would really, uh, I'm convinced they would do a lot of what they're doing, although not at the level of the amount of time, but in a volunteer way if they weren't on staff. And we share that we share a real love for the church, a real vision for reaching people. There's the common Christ. goal. The primary yeah. goal is we know that people in our county need Jesus and yeah. we want to do that. And sometimes there's the secondary or tertiary things that maybe there can be some disagreements, but you can have those disagreements and get through them if you have the same primary focus and goal. Um, I planted a church with my dad and um, worked very closely with my family at a very small church, but I, I've seen a little bit the struggles of, of working together as a family, how different um, you know arguments or disagreements can come up, and it can be very hard. So being in ministry is incredibly rewarding. Also be very tough on a family, whether your family is in ministry with you or not. Um, requires sacrifice, obviously a lot of time and, and focus is going into the things that are going on at the church. So what advice could you give maybe some younger families that are in ministry? We have a lot of young families at our yeah, church on staff. Yeah. And what advice could you give them to be able uh, to keep their family relationship strong while they're in ministry? Yeah, I think that's, uh, boy, that's a good one. Um, you know, it takes a lot of time and you want to be careful that you don't get so drained, you know, that uh, that you get out of balance. Uh, the relationship, sometimes, I mean, frankly, we can be working on things, um, Eve and I, or within our some of the family members, I mean, working on something in the church that's so consuming that there's not enough balance time just to hang out. And I think that... Um, well, that was going to be another question of mine, because your family's in ministry with you, when you're hanging out, ministry discussion or talk has to probably come up at some point yeah, and how does. do you navigate that and and are able to put <laughs> it aside to make it to where this is still a family and not just co-workers yeah i know sometimes you have to just say you know on a day off say stop talking about the next vision or and the, the one who does that the most is my wife he, yeah she's the one who wants to talk about the next thing we could do yeah i mean it's 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 hilarious i've and, seen that actually at you know different yes. different <laughs> gatherings thanksgiving and stuff where she'll she's she'll start talking idea. about something and you're like we're just making turkeys today that's what this is about <laughs> turkeys so uh, you have yeah. to you know having a day where you're the day off where you just discipline yourself you know say we're not gonna we're gonna talk about other things you know there's right. other things to talk about um watch the super bowl watch yeah. the super bowl but i i would say that to our young staff you it's okay to you want to be balanced in life uh they work so hard we got we just we have this staff that uh which for me being a lead pastor makes it easier a lot easier because you know you don't have to tell them to do things you have to tell them to not do so much yeah or you you don't have to tell them you know, be creative and get an idea. You have to say, be sure to take some time for your family or yourself or whatever. It's it's just it's just the opposite of, uh, I think, what some leaders have to do to try to motivate. I don't sure. have to motivate. I have to just try to keep them more balanced. Yeah, we've uh, gotten text messages from Kiki saying no one's allowed to work tomorrow. Yeah, take don't. the day off. I know we have a lot going on, but take the day off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because um, ministry can be a, uh, a bottomless pit. Uh, it can be something that you, a sinkhole where you get in helping somebody 
the next thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it actually, it never stops. It never ends. Uh, so you're going to have to be like Jesus and get away, be quiet, spend time. You know, uh, you know, I love the verse in the gospels where the disciples come up to Jesus when he's been praying and they, they say, uh, everybody's looking for you, you know, mm-hmm. like, what are you doing over here taking time to pray? Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus says, let's go to a different town where I know that's why I've been called. And he's like, let's go. You know, I love that verse. Listening to God rather than all the demands. Yeah. So going into some trials and things being trying, um, I was thinking about this. You've been now, because of your church planting roots, you were a pastor of a smaller church. How many people were there at that Easter Sunday? Yeah, so in 92, um, April 19th, 1992, we had people who flew out from Dallas to support the new church, and then... Since I grew up in Redwood City, which is an hour and a half south of Santa Rosa, we had a bunch of friends come up from there. Right. So we had like, like 100 people, which was great. I mean, I remember going home. Maybe the better question is how many people were at church the yeah, following Sunday? Yeah, the following Sunday? week, there was like 27 people. Okay. 27. And we had like 27 people for the rest of that year. So starting in um, April and then really to the end of the year, we averaged probably 27 people. Yeah. And that got rough. Yeah, you know, we did some big, we did big mailers trying to get more people, and that didn't work. And I think it was, you know, and then I, because I came from a church in Dallas that had grown to a, a larger couple thousand, yeah. right? And so it was God's way of saying, uh, "This is going to be my doing. This is not me. yours. Yeah. yeah, you're you're nothing. You you're not going to be doing this. the work." Yeah. <laughs> so from the outside looking in, being the, you know, I've been on staff at um, small churches. I grew up at kind of a, you know, medium sized church where it fluctuated from 600 to a thousand people or so, um, where my dad was, was the senior associate pastor. And then when I got into ministry, I was at small churches, both from somewhere between 25 and 50 people. And outside looking in sometimes, the pastor of a smaller church or staff of a smaller church could have the perception, I'm speaking because I had this perception, that pastors of larger churches don't have as much stress as smaller churches do. And the fact that I grew up at a, uh, a larger church, knowing what my dad was stressed about, and then now being on staff here at Spring Hills, knowing just the different stresses, how can pastors of larger churches encourage and build up the pastors with smaller congregations? When it's looking like we don't have the same kind of stresses, kind of like you don't know what it feels like, that kind of thing, and it's we're all we're all having our own trials and stresses through things. So especially right, this make me think of this right now with the uh, the economy and being shelter in place. Smaller churches are going to be hit in a hard way. Yeah, they are, and um, yeah, you're right. The larger the church, it's just a different set of uh, you know trials, difficulties challenges, put it that way, different set at a larger level than a smaller one. I mean, there's churches that are 10 times the size of Spring Hills, and it's just, it's uh, it's 10 times. It's just the scale. It's the scale. You know, the money is scaled. If you're a smaller church, you need so much. If you're a larger church, you need, you need so, so much. much. If, you, if you go mega, mega church, you need so much. And so it's all scaled down. I, this current uh, shelter in place, I wonder if it's going to affect some of the larger churches more only because the financial <clears throat> demands are much bigger. And, um, you know, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I, I would love, one thing I would love to do most would be to have smaller churches and new churches, new church plants get around the table and talk to them about 
some of the lessons we learned over the years just to encourage them and to help them. And that's right. something that's been on my mind forever to do that. And Lord willing, uh, maybe I'll get to do more of that. Yeah. You know, you're a church planter. Do an internship yeah. here at our staff and let, let's talk to you and then yeah. send you out. Now, the Lord just hasn't um, brought that all about, but boy, I'm, I'm sounding the word now. I would love that. Interns who want to church, start churches coming to Spring Hills and will you'll just be a part of this. So you get a, you know that vision I was talking about. What do you want to produce when you go out there? You can already see it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we want really, I'd love to encourage. Um, we try to with some of the pastors in town, and we're doing this more and more with, you know, bi-monthly gatherings and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, you don't want to be perceived like, oh, you're the large church and you guys got multiple staff. And, and you're fine. And you're you fine. And, uh, you know, so I, 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 I don't really call them. I kind of want them to call me because mm-hmm. if I call them, then it sounds like, oh, you just think I have something to yeah, offer. Right. I, I, but if they call me, I'm all over it. Like, yeah, let's get together. And, and, and I would love to encourage you. And there's um, things that the, that pastors of other churches encourage you with. Yeah. I mean, it's not just a one-way yeah. street there. You've, yeah. you've called other pastors and asked for encouragement and yes. or needed encouragement from them. So it goes, goes both ways there. Um, I'm curious, what's maybe one of the more trying times that you and Eve experienced in, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be the early years, but just within the church plant as a whole and in the growth, what was one of the more trying times? Well, one of the things that what can happen in a church is that you can have a group of people that have a different vision for the church than you have. Especially right? when you get to as large as... Yeah, and now, now that we're a larger church, um, and not so much, and plus we've learned a lot about uh, the people to bring on to leadership. Right, who do you right, bring right. on? You bring people on to leadership who share the vision, who share the <clears throat> not just the big picture vision, but the they share the philosophy, they share the uh, culture mm-hmm. of the church. Um, I'm a big outreach guy, so if you're an outreach person and you love that, then you come into the leadership and. You like what we're doing, the creative things we do, some of the out-of-the-box things we do. Uh, we've had problems over the years, different occasions, and God's always used them for good. You know, f- praise his name. But we've had challenges over the years when people have got into leadership who have a different vision for the church. Right, they have a different right. view of it. They have a different philosophy of it. There's examples I could give you about this, but it's like they, they think that the church should look like this. And then I, or some of our other leaders feel like the church should look like this. Right. Both are right. Okay. There isn't a right or wrong, but it's, but it's a, it's a philosophy. It's a culture thing. And that, uh, even if you share the primary goal of, we want to share the gospel. Yes. How we're going to, that's why we have different churches. We've got some different, and that's great. There's no, one person wants to get there this way. The other yeah. person wants, you know, and so that's been the challenges over the years is that if that grows and then what can happen is one says, I think the church should get to that goal this way, but they say this way is the right way. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the the moral way or the biblical way mm-hmm. or any of that. And then all of a sudden it becomes to them this thing they have to right do to maintain wrong. the integrity yeah. of the Bible and and then the devil can get in there and yeah. cause cause division. Was there ever a time that you wanted to give it up? Yes. Yes. 
Matter of fact, we had a time where we almost merged with another church. Um, and uh, because I was exhausted and we had just come through one of those tough times. And I can't remember. It actually didn't have to do with philosophy as it much as much as it, well, it kind of did. It had to do with some staffing issues and what do we do about certain staffing issues and all of that. So uh, we got really drained. I think Eve was at a point where she and she she was telling me, I don't know if I can continue to do this, you know. And, and it was when when my wife gets exhausted, and uh, then it's bad because <laughs> yeah. she has she has more endurance than I have. Or I'll ever have. So we considered merging with another church, and we started talking to our church about the merger, and we started exploring it and having meetings. And then it was interesting how God worked. I started having people say to me, well, I don't want to lose our church. Right. I love right. what we're doing here. And what does this mean again? And what is this going to look like? And, oh, no, I sure. And I, that was coming from so many different people that it was like the Lord. I, I was encouraged. How far in was this? Uh, this would have been, I want to say year five, okay. six, something like that, maybe, uh, somewhere in there. And I was, I was like, God was saying, no, keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, keep, this is a unique approach. This is a, this is, I've raised up spring Hills for a purpose and you need to hang in there. One of the verses that always encouraged me was out of Galatians six, uh, don't grow weary and well doing for you will reap you know, uh, kind of a reap a harvest yeah. if you faint not. But that uh, that was a tough time, almost almost willing to give up. But then, see, God provides what you need, the time you need it to keep you doing what he's called you to do. Right, yeah. Uh, this is, uh, I'll try to, this is kind of a long question, but there, you know, there's the glimpse of the temptations that Satan threw at Jesus to knock him down before he entered his public ministry. Um, so, you know, the th three of them for us to observe the, follow the appetites of the flesh, um, act act with his power as the word of God outside of the will of God, and to worship something and someone else besides God. So Jesus refuted all these temptations with God's word, with the sharp accuracy that the Holy Spirit provides to discern error from truth. So were there times in, in your journey of your ministry um, that you saw temptations try to defer you um, from walking in the truth of the gospel? Yeah, and I... Um I shared with another pastor uh, that the most difficult time for me was after we moved on to the property here. Okay. Um, it, it, I, I think if I was to probably say the, the most difficult times spiritually, you know, like thinking of Jesus' encounter with the devil and mm. discouragement, uh, two of them would have been um, probably after we had started the church after a year. Uh, and then when we got moved into the property here, uh, about a year after moving in. <clears throat> and it's, I, I look back on those two times and it was like, you know, am I having a midlife crisis yeah. here? I mean, why am I feeling things? Why do I just want to get out of here? Why do I just want, not because I want to give up on the ministry, but because I just want to go, uh, you know, to a, an island somewhere or a beach. I mean, it was, it was bad in that sense. Um, thankfully, you know, we got through that, but they came after really intense times of exertion. Starting the church was very intense. Um, getting, you know, getting moved here from Dallas, getting it started, all the details, the church got up and running. We were finally able to be self-sustaining uh -huh. as a church and then sort of 
um, boy, I'm exhausted and I need a break. And then after we moved on to the property here, which was another amazing exertion, raising money, going through the county for the permit process, buying the land, developing it, finally getting it to where we could occupy and have a sanctuary. I mean, all that, I was, I was coming on the other side of that was really difficult. Right. And a, a pastor friend of mine who went through a building program, I told him, I said, you know, they, were, they raised money, they, they bought a building, they refurbished it, they did all this stuff. And I, you know, to expand their ministry, which was great, and they did it. And, but I told him when he went into it, I said, now when you get through this, uh, you should take a sabbatical of some sort. You just need, you just need to, because I told him that's what time I felt the weakest and the most vulnerable to temptations was yeah. at the end of that. The problem is, for me, you just moved on to the property. Now you got to get this church growing so you can pay for everything. Right, right? yeah. I mean, and then I know for him, it's the It same was such way. a huge leap of faith to... Yeah, take to, to get this property right. So now yeah. you've got to, now you've got to keep keep going along God's path and make sure the, you're not gonna. You got the church started. You yeah. can't leave now. Yeah, 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 you know. And so, but that's partly probably the devil's lie is that you can't move away from it. You can't take a break. You right. need to keep the pedal to the metal. Well, right. um, I got through that through some personal counseling. Went through some counseling with a Christian counselor and uh, talked through. Through that, uh, thankfully, you know, my wife is such a wonderful, understanding, godly person. Talked through the emotions of that and um, and on and on. But it was a, it was a tough period. Um, <clears throat> some churches have built-in sabbaticals for their pastors, which right. is, a, is really a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to get away from the ministry for two, three months. Uh, some do it longer than that, some a little shorter, but uh, especially after intense times of exertion, that's when you're most vulnerable to temptation. Yeah. Um, You know, looking back on my own relationship with God or even my friendships, you know, just with with people or coworkers, um, family, I can look back and kind of pinpoint certain times where those relationships grew um, substantially. Uh, So I often look back at my relationship with God like that, and I can point, you know, if I drew out a timeline of my whole uh, walk with God, I can pinpoint some different times and experiences where my relationship really took a, a huge leap there and an understanding of who God is and really expanded my, um, expanded my, yeah, expanded my, my knowledge of who God is and what God is in my life and, and where I've put him. And, um, as far as like, if he's, if he's the God of my life or is he someone that I've got co-leading my life and I take this big step of like, nope, you're going to take it all. And I can remember that time when I'm like, I'm no longer going to try to help you guide my life. Can you pinpoint any times in your life where your relationship with God really grew substantially, where it was like that was a pivotal moment where I understood this and that understanding really helped me to to grow in my relationship with God? Well, there's two things. One was the pastor I had in Dallas where I was on, I was an associate pastor working with singles. He... Um, he helped me to understand the grace of God for the first time. I was very, I was very hard on myself. I, my dad was a perfectionist type guy. That's why I knew how to mow the lawn really well. And when I became a Christian and was doing a good job in the lawn, I mean, it was really good. Because you know God's I mean? perfect. And yeah. now you have a relationship with someone that's perfect. And, yeah. And so that's what happened. Yeah. I became a Christian and I thought God was an ultimate perfectionist. And right. So for the early years of my Christian life, <clears throat> I was very... Uh, both legalistic, trying to keep all the rules and, and, uh, pretty discouraged at the same time. 
And that pastor helped me understand the gospel of grace. I mean, it really did. That it's and and the cross, what Jesus did for me, paid it all. And and that's why Jesus came because I'll never I'll never measure up. Right. So right, right. he really gave me the theology of it. But over the years, I've seen where at some of my at, at many of my worst points, you know, some of those trying, testing, temptation times that I mentioned earlier, that God continued to be faithful to me and blessed me. And it was like, okay, I've, I've thought some things I've done some things in my heart. I've, I, that justifies God condemning me forever. Yeah. And then he turned around and blessed me or he turned around and provided for me. And it was like, I had the theology of his grace. Now I was having the experience of his grace and the combination of two, those two things, which continue to grow even to this day. I'm dig- digging deeper into the gospel, um, understanding the theology of God becoming human, giving his life on the cross. I mean, that you can go pretty deep into the theology of, of that. Uh, and the sin, my own sinfulness, I, I think the older I get as a Christian, the more I realize how pervasive my sin is, my selfishness, and combining the uh, the understanding of the grace of God with the depth of my own sin and seeing what God's done for me, I, I just my love for Him's growing, growing, growing. It's like you 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 fall in love with people who extend to you mercy and they extend to you grace, and um, so I, I wouldn't say it was one particular event, although. It's a definite combination of the theology of grace and the experience of God's grace and God's faithfulness that has caused me to love him all the more. And it really shapes the philosophy of our church and of what I love to preach about mm-hmm. is that. I just love the, from the scriptures, uh, teach people the wonderful good news of the gospel. Yesterday, Gerilyn was in here and she was uh, recording a devotional and she had what I called the quote of the day, which was, uh, let's make sure I sent this to Kiki. Cause I was like, Gerilyn, this is a really good quote. Um, I'm probably going to get it. I'm probably going to get it wrong. But she, she said, I need to understand not to ramble about the gospel that I love oh, because she's good. doing the devotionals. She's trying to cut down the time. And she, the first time she did, yes. it, you know, she's trying to get five minutes and she went 12 and she's like, I just love the gospel too much. I don't want to stop talking about it. And I'm like, yes. Hey, you know what? That's a good problem to have. Um, so before we get going here, I have, I want to do some rapid fire questions, uh, just to kind of get to know you on a a personal level with some of these things. So some of them are are pretty, um, probably pretty pointless as far as life goes, but they're fun to talk about. Uh, so on a bit, on a more ministry side, uh, who's the biggest influence to you in your, your ministry or in, you know, what doesn't have to just be ministry in life. Who's, who was the biggest influence to you? Inspiration. You know, I'd have to say that pastor, you know, cause I was impressionable. I was at a seminary, the pastor in Dallas. Um, name is Bill Counts. He's uh, retired now, but I love him so much. And he was most significant because he modeled to me uh, a pastorate that was, he was himself. He just yeah. tried to be himself. And he taught me theology and got me really started on understanding the grace of God. Yeah. Cool. So was, what was his name? Bill Counts. Bill Counts in Dallas. written a couple right? of books. Yeah. In Dallas, he's retired now, but... Uh, he definitely is, if I look back, the most pivotal, influential person. What about uh, what's your what's your biggest 
uh, maybe this is a weird question, but what's your biggest goal in life? Something you want to accomplish? What's like on your bucket list of something you want to do? I heard, um, I think it was uh, Chris Hodges talking about this and saying like, have a bucket list, like to go and see this, you know, landmark or whatever it is. Do you have something on your bucket list? Like I, I got to do that at some point. I, I would love to, uh, I would love to be more involved in missions, like going. Mm-hmm. I, I love to go uh, cross-culturally and teach. Where have you, you, you've been to Vietnam. You've been, been to Vietnam a couple of times uh, down to South Africa on a mission trip uh, for different purposes, Mexico and things like that. So not a lot, but I'd love to go have a great interpreter and just teach theology. Yeah. Uh, that would be my love. The other thing I'd love on the, the bucket list of ministry would be what, like we talked about, to do more training, to to do what I was encouraged to do when I started, you know, disciple, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, disti- disciple young pastors, leaders in theological truth, particularly the gospel. Yeah. Because that, that shaped my life. It shaped my ministry. Um, and so many young pastors... Um, they need to be freed up by the gospel themselves, and they need to articulate it clearly from the scriptures to people, because if they do, people will get saved. What about a non-ministry bucket list? What's at the top of that? Non-ministry bucket list right now would be to continue to develop my golf game and uh, to uh, be able to play some of the famous Augusta. courses. Yes, you know, all of that takes time and it's expensive. That's the yeah. only problem with it. And then you have to know the right people. Right, yeah, connections. But if I had that, I'd love to play some of the really nice, famous golf courses. Right. Uh, will you ever write a book? What was that? Will you ever write a book? You I, know, I think about that. I think about sorry, that. Sorry, yeah, these are going to be seem random. Yeah, those They're are going to be rapid fire. Those are good. That's a really good one. Uh, would you ever write a book? I, I've thought about that, and I think about it probably every couple of months. And uh, I get two thoughts on it. One, there's somebody else writing the same thing that d- they do better. You right. know, they do better. They write better books. So maybe I shouldn't, but I do. Maybe, um, maybe at some point, you know, uh, I I would just to capture some of the things we're talking about here today. Yeah. If for even my grandkids or for people that have been part of the church or something like or that. Or a church planter that needs, needs yeah. some advice on, on how to uh, to move about it. Yeah. Um, all right, so um, uh, what were your hobbies growing up? We kind of touched on them a little bit, but yeah. yeah sports, mostly sports and music. Drama uh, or anything like that? No. Stand-up comedy? No, none of that. Um, none of that. I, I'm finding now that in this shelter-in-place, doing radio like we're doing, this is this radio, is yeah. right, and doing some of the video stuff is very fun. But yeah. growing up, I was very intimidated by it, very awkward, very uh, fearful of it. And I think that was all connected to what I said earlier about feeling sheltered pers- mm-hmm. personally, emotionally. Yeah, you shared that Kiki was like that when she was little, right? Oh, like yeah. She, yeah, that's interesting that you both kind of had that. Now both of you do so well in front of people. Yeah, and, you can't shut them up yeah. kind of a thing. Oh, in a good way, though. But In yeah. a good way. Um, so hobbies now, have they changed? Uh, now it's uh, primarily, you know, if you want to say reading and uh, that is a hobby, that's one. Although mostly nonfiction stuff. And then uh, golf. Okay. Um, yeah. Sports teams? Who are your favorite sports, sports teams? Sports teams. You know, of course, I enjoy watching the Warriors uh, I got to say, two years. I, was, uh, I was with you guys on Super Bowl Sunday, and I had to go in the other room 
because ah. you guys were all pulling for not necessarily the Chiefs, but for certain players because you were in in some kind of DraftKings deal or yes, something. Yes, yes. And I was wanting, the, I was rooting for the Niners, and I felt like everyone in the house was rooting for the Chiefs, and I'm like, I gotta walk in the other room. This is especially during the comeback. That I'm kind of funny. If I'm I, too competitive. If I get a personality that I really like, you know, like Patrick Mahomes, yeah. uh, you know, Kansas City quarterback. I liked him when I saw him. Yeah. Okay. I just, it's like, guy looks like genius to me. You like the first play- time I saw him, I thought, this guy's amazing. He looks like he's, you know, kind of like the Tom Brady effect <clears throat> where it's, he's, he's, and then to find out he's just a Christian. captivating. Yeah. He's a Christian. So it's like, I love him. How Steph Curry was too. It was like, yeah. what is this guy doing? Guys that change the game, they do something either way better than everybody else or they're inventing something basically. Yeah. I mean, that was what you feel like with, with Curry where it was like the dude, shatters a three-point record, and then the next season he shatters his own so three-point record. So I'm liable oh to goodness. follow a team because of a Players. Steph Curry or Patrick Mahomes forever because okay. I like them. Yeah. It's weird. I know it's weird. I so your allegiances just... are more with players than, yeah. than teams. Now, like Gi- you Madison are... Bumgartner on the Giants. I mean, he had me just, I'm going to watch every game he's pitching. I don't care. Giants winner. I just want to see him because see, he's so phenomenal. I have a theory phenomenal. that Madison Bumgartner being – and Arizona now is the reason why there's no baseball. I think that's the theory. <laughs> you know, something's not right. We're not going to play now. Bumgarner's not in the Giants. I think we need to sit this one out, guys. Um, so, yes, that was uh, that was sports teams. You're, I mean, we've been to a, a Giants game a couple times together and stuff. So you're a Giants fan because of Bumgarner, or are you a Giants fan? Yeah, I'm definitely a Giants fan because I grew up with that. My okay. dad, great memory was going to Giants games yeah. as a kid. Double headers. Were you at um, the old state? Not Candlestick, but the, uh, what was it? The uh, the Polo Grounds? No, not the Polo Grounds. It would have been Candlestick. Candlestick, okay. And they used to have double headers back then. Yeah. Where you would Oh, go. I've been to double headers. They yeah. were still double We'd go, you know, pay a buck to sit in the bleachers at Candlestick or yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, pack a lunch. Pack a lunch, and sit out there, cooler. watch a couple fights. Oh, yeah. Great. Oh, yeah. The, 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 uh, the grandstands. Dream car. Dream car. Or do you have it? I have an F-150 truck, and I was telling, I forget what I was telling. Maybe it was John, or was it? Maybe, I, I think you were in here. You were talking I, about talking it. talking about it, how nice it is to have a truck. Yes, you were talking about it with John in here when yeah. we did one of the podcasts. And, yeah. you know, uh, it's not and a And here beater. I am in my little fusion. Yeah, so. Hey, uh, what's your gas know. mileage? Let's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My hybrid, my hybrid gives me 48. <laughs> so I don't really have a dream car. You know, I have to. Maybe that makes me a little boring, doesn't it? But I, I really love, I really love having a truck. I love going to the dumps. Yeah. And you can go to the dumps in your own truck. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. I mean, you get rid of some stuff or clippings or whatever, and then you load it up and you go as a man and <laughs> back in your F-150 my truck. First, my first vehicle was a, a Chevy, a 92 Chevy, and I loved it. And a year after I got it, well, we'd had it, but when I got my license, it became my truck. And a year after um, I got my license, middle of the night, someone stole it and oh. walked out for school the next morning. And I was like, where's my truck at? And then I like look in the back and see if I parked in the back alley. Wasn't there. And I'm like, dad, did you leave the truck at the church or something? No. I walk out and there's the glass and, and I'm like, oh, shoot. Oh, man. And they found it a couple hours later, completely torched in an orchard. And, you know, they, you know, they come over and they're like, when's the last time uh, you drove your car? Trying to make sure we didn't do it for insurance money. I'm like, I loved that truck. I wouldn't have ever done it. Um, So, yeah, I I miss having a truck. And now it's been been cars and you always. You're a family guy. You have two young kids. Two young kids. Your time will come. Golf 
and a truck. You know what? It's in your future. John's a family guy, and he's got kids. Yeah, and how do you do that? <laughs> he made it happen. Well, they've got that. They've got the the family car. I guess that's how it works, right? Yeah, get that for um, the family. Cool, man. Well, that was my rapid fire questions. Um, anything else you feel like people should know about you? Just that I'd really like to get to know them. Yeah, you know, I, I really would love to hear their story. Um, people. Uh, people are so interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's every story. I mean, I've shared a little bit of mine, but every story is so amazing. And I, I just, uh, I wish I, and maybe that's going to be one of the things we appreciate about heaven. We'll have time to sit down and we won't be so busy or shelter in place. Yeah. Well, hey, man, thanks for doing this. I think it's going to be really cool for some people to get to know you a little better. Some of these things that even, I mean, I didn't know. I've known you for a few years now. Um, I'm sure that some of the other staff that you raised one of them, uh, they probably know all these things, but, uh, yeah, hopefully this was, uh, this was encouraging to you guys to hear a little bit about pastor Brett's story. And, uh, we look forward to everything we've got coming in the future on the podcast. Pastor Brett will come through and do some sermon recaps and some other things. Um, we'll keep him around. We know you guys like him, so we'll make sure he comes back. Uh, anyways, this is right now we're at good Friday. By the time you hear this, it'll be, um, after Easter. So I hope you enjoyed Easter. We were so excited about it, worked hard on it, and I uh, hope you were encouraged by it and were able to share it with you. So, all right, we'll, uh, we'll catch you guys next time.